Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 178 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aerator Sports Podcast. What's up, people? It's Thursday. We are headed into week two of the college football season. Great show ahead today. So as I mentioned last episode, I will be joined today by a really fun guest, a guy that I've gotten to know through the years that I've really enjoyed talking football with him. His name is Jacob Hester. He is a host on the SEC uh, network on SiriusXM Radio. So SiriusXM, of course, has their SEC network. Jacob, check this out. Jacob played at LSU, was recruited to LSU by Nick Saban, played for a season under Nick Saban, then played for three years under Les Miles, and of course played in the NFL, went on to do a bunch of stuff in the media. Now he hosts on SiriusXM and also a show in Baton Rouge. So he joins me in a little bit to talk about his career, what it's like to be recruited by Nick Saban, to play for Les Miles, his relationship currently with Les Miles, his thoughts on Les Miles at Kansas, and also to preview the LSU-Texas game that is coming up this weekend. Uh, one quick note on that, the the audio wasn't great. I did everything I could, and I am still, as I record this, I am still working to try to get that audio fixed. Hopefully it's fixed. If it isn't, just bear with me through the first minute or two because it does get much better as the interview goes on. I don't know what was going on at the beginning. Like I said, I'm working to fix it. Hopefully it is not an issue. Before we get to Jacob, I'm going to do a complete preview of week two of the college football season. The big games, of course, are LSU-Texas, so I'm going to share my thoughts before Jacob joins me. We'll talk a little Texas A&M-Clemson, talk about a couple other big games on the schedule, and then I will wrap with my week two gambling picks. If you listen to this show, and you all do, so you know, but the week one gambling picks, really, really good. I finished 5-2-1 overall. Uh, Got some nice wins. Got a win in week zero with the Florida-Miami under. So the picks are off to a really good start. I have posted them on Aaron Torres Online. That's where I'm going to be doing all my picks all season long. So Aaron Torres Online is the place that you can see the picks. However, I'm going to share them here, and then we will get to Jacob Hester momentarily. For people who listen to the show, by the way, primarily for basketball, I promise, as soon as there is basketball stuff to talk about, we will talk about it, but I do expect over the next couple weeks that this show is a little bit heavier on college football because that's what everyone wants to talk about right now. Well, except Tennessee fans. Maybe they don't want to talk about college football. Everybody else wants to talk about college football, though. So let's get into today's episode. Before we do, I want to remind you, you guys already know what's coming, right? Subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You guys love this show. I am amazed by the number of you who continue to download, continue to listen. Uh, So please make sure you're subscribed to the show. You can do it on iTunes. I guess it's called Apple Podcast now. That's what the kids are calling it. I call it iTunes, whatever. Uh, Apple Podcasts. You can do it on Podcast Addict. That is where I download this show. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict. Do it on Spotify. You can do it on TuneIn Radio. You can stream it on Pod Paradise. Wherever you listen to this show, though, make sure you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. You guys have been so awesome about this. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate this. Give it a quick five stars. As I mentioned last week, my buddy, Mark 
Kinnett, he's not really my buddy. He's just a listener to this show. He said last, right before last episode, Torres rules, and this is the best podcast going. Thank you, Mark. Feel free to rate and review the show. Also, Aaron Torres Sports Podcast on Instagram. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. A lot of new listener or a lot of new followers there. That's where I post a lot of my picks, a lot of previews of this show. So if you want to know what's going on on this show, make sure you're following Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. And finally, if you want to weigh in, you want to ask me a question, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into today's show, if we haven't already. Technically, I guess we're four minutes into today's show already, but it is college football. We are going to focus on college football, uh, and the big games after week one, as we discussed last week, not a ton to preview going into week one. Unfortunately, there just weren't all that many big games. Auburn-Oregon, the only top 25 matchup. Ironically, in an interesting twist, I, I read this stat or I saw this stat. It was like the first time in like 20 years that on, on an opening night uh, or opening weekend, a ranked team didn't lose to an unranked team. So the only ranked team that lost was Oregon. Everybody else held serve. Everybody else uh, I don't want to say look good, but at least did what they were supposed to do, and it sets up a really interesting week too. To me, the marquee game, as I've mentioned a few times, LSU and Texas, and I'm telling you, I am really excited for this one. First of all, I love the fact this isn't one of those neutral field, play it in Atlanta, play it in Dallas. No, this is in Austin. This is on a true home field, and I believe next year, or in the very near future, Texas is going to Baton Rouge. So shout out to these two programs. Also shout out to Clemson and Texas A&M, who are in the second year of a home-and-home there. But credit to these two programs for scheduling these two games on campus. You love to see the big games in the true home road atmosphere. We've had some good ones of these over the last couple years. I remember Ohio State and Oklahoma played a couple times. That's, of course, when... Baker Mayfield planted the flag. Um, you know, Texas, to their credit, has scheduled a lot of these games. They're coming off a two-year stint with USC. And now we have LSU Texas. So the story is, I think, coming into this one, and I think we all know what the story is, right? It's a story with Texas that has been the story with Texas basically for as long, it feels like, as college football has existed, which is Texas back. And look, that, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, of course, Texas has been good in recent history. I don't think people realize, though, that last year, 2018, the 2018 season into New Year's Day 2019, it was the first time since 2009 that Texas won 10 games in a season. That was the year that Colt McCoy was the quarterback at Texas. That was the year they lost to Alabama in the national championship. It feels like a lifetime ago, so that is the big story. Is Texas actually back? I can't lie. I don't really think they are, and I'll tell you why. So first off, I think that the Texas narrative coming out of last season was a little bit exaggerated. And so what do I mean by that? So Texas wins 10 games. We get the whole, oh, Texas is finally back. Sam Ellinger, their quarterback on the podium at the Sugar Bowl. We're back. I don't know if I buy it, Sam Ellinger. No disrespect. First of all, real quick, and I'm going to get back to this. Can we stop comparing Sam Ellinger to Tim Tebow, by the way? I know they're both short, stocky, not super athletic, white quarterbacks, Sam Ellinger is nothing like Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow won the Heisman as a sophomore and won two national championships. Sam Ellinger uh, is 1-100th the quarterback that Tim Tebow was. So first of all, enough with the Tim Tebow stuff, okay? I get it. He's gritty. He's tough. He's, a, you know, he's basically the, the son of a quarterback. Okay, whatever. He ain't Tim Tebow. So we can stop with that right now. And I do think a lot of the Texas narrative is based around Sam Ellinger. He had a, a good season last year. He had a great game against Georgia. The casual fan probably didn't watch a ton of Texas football up until that Georgia game in the Sugar Bowl. And so now it's, oh, Sam Ellinger, oh, he's, he, he's a Heisman. No, he's not. Sam Ellinger is not going to win the Heisman Trophy. Let's all stop right there. And when you look at Texas and you look at that 10-win season, I actually think it was actually pretty deceptive. And here's why. So first off, Texas lost going into that Sugar Bowl. 
Texas had lost three of their previous six games. People forget that. People think, oh, they went, you know, 11-1. and one. No, they didn't. They did beat Oklahoma during the regular season, to their credit. Um, they did beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. But what people forget was, in late October, they lost at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, by the way, was not very good last year. And the week later, they lost to West Virginia. And then they lost to Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. So basically, Texas lost to two out of the three, be- the, the, the two best teams in the Big 12 besides them. They lost to in the final month of the regular season. And as a matter of fact, speaking of West Virginia, it's easy to forget this now because Dana Holgerson left West Virginia. West Virginia was the team that was in position to make the Big 12 championship game. And if West Virginia hadn't lost twice late in the season, Texas wouldn't have even been in the Big 12 championship game. And if Texas wasn't in the Big 12 championship game, they probably wouldn't have gone to the Sugar Bowl. If they don't go to the Sugar Bowl, they don't beat Georgia. And of course, nobody thinks they're back. So that's the first part. Secondly, Texas lost a lot of guys off last year's team, which I don't think anybody's really talking about. They lost their leading receiver, LJ Humphrey, and they lost eight starters off defense. And oh, by the way, that defense wasn't very good. They were ranked 67th nationally in total defense. That is an average to below average defense. By the way, it pains me to say that. You know why? Because Texas's defensive coordinator is Todd Orlando. You know where Todd Orlando was a decade ago? He was the defensive coordinator at UConn when I was at UConn I know Todd Orlando a little bit I've sat in an office room with him so I want him to be good but they were okay they weren't that great and so when I look at this matchup like I think Texas is fine I think they're a fringe top 20-ish type team but do I think that they are that they're back that they're gonna win this game and make a run to the playoff I don't I think they're a good team I don't think that, one, I don't think they're on LSU's level, but I certainly don't think they're on the Alabama-Clemson level or Georgia or Ohio State or even Oklahoma for that matter. And I know they beat Oklahoma once, but let's not say because of one win that they're on the same level as Oklahoma. So I don't buy the Texas stuff. From the LSU perspective, and it's something that I talked to Jacob Hester a little bit in uh, later in the show, I do wonder, LSU, the big story right now, is that they've switched offenses. they finally gotten into the 21st century. They have a spread offense, new offensive coordinator. They put up 55 points against Georgia Southern. As a matter of fact, I didn't even realize this, but apparently in Baton Rouge, they're calling Ed Orgeron spread Orgeron right now, uh, not because he likes a good spread on his bagel, but because they're running the spread. And I guess my question from LSU is a couple things. Is one, do I really believe that Ed Orgeron, when push comes to shove, late in the fourth quarter in a close game, is he really just going to be dinking and dunking and throwing the ball all over the field like he's Lincoln Riley? Because I don't know if he will. So that's what I'm interested to see from this game. Does LSU actually stick with the spread? And oh, by the way, is this actually a game from Texas's perspective where they're actually in pretty good shape because they see the spread all the time in the Big 12? And so when you add all those things up, this is my prediction for the game. Feel free to rub this in my face if I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. I do think LSU wins, but I think it's a close game. And I wrote about this in my picks, AaronTorresOnline.com, is Texas is a five and a half point underdog at home. That seems insane to me. Now, again, maybe Vegas knows something that I don't, but two things to consider here. One, Tom Herman is actually incredible against the spread as an underdog in his career. He is 13-2-1 against the spread when he enters a game as an underdog. So I think this one is close. I do think LSU wins because I think they have better players overall. I do think Texas is a little bit overrated. But the fact that this game is at home, I think really benefits Texas. I think that they can keep it close. I think they can keep the LSU spread offense in check. I do think LSU wins. One note on LSU, by the way, to look at going forward. If LSU does win this game, if they don't win this game, then it's back to cloud. You know, first of all, Texas is back one. Everyone will make fun of me. Every Texas fan that listens to this show will make fun of me. And two, um, LSU will be in big trouble. But if LSU wins this game, one thing I want to warn you about, they will be in pretty good position to go into the Alabama game 
later in the year undefeated. I know it sounds insane because it is the second week of the season. They don't play Alabama till the first week of November. But between now and the Alabama game, these are their road games. At Vandy, at Mississippi State. Now they do play Florida and they do play Auburn, but both games are in Baton Rouge. They also play Texas A&M later in the year, but it's in Baton Rouge. And so I bring this up because this feels like such a turning point game. If LSU wins this game, there is almost a certain chance that they enter the Alabama game undefeated and in the thick of the playoff conversation. We'll figure out if they're actually good enough to beat Alabama this year. But this is why this is such a huge game for LSU. All right, let's switch gears to the second massive, big, huge game on the schedule for Saturday afternoon. It is Clemson hosting Texas A&M. If you remember last year, as a matter of fact, basically the closest game that that Clemson played all year was against Texas A&M. Texas A&M played them really close. It was in College Station. I believe it was week two, just like this year. Night game, big game. And the final score was 28-26 Clemson. Clemson won on the road. Huge victory. By the way, that was the game that Kelly Bryant came in. So Kelly Bryant starts. Trevor Lawrence comes in before we know how good Trevor Lawrence is. And then Kelly Bryant had to come back in and bail Clemson out. And that was by far the closest game that Clemson played all year. They blew out everybody else on the schedule except for Syracuse, crushed Alabama in the championship, crushed uh, Notre Dame in the college football playoff, And so you look at this game, Texas A&M, I think, comes into this game confident that they can play with Clemson. I think they should feel confident. First of all, let's never forget, Jimbo Fisher coached at Florida State forever. Jimbo Fisher has beaten Clemson before. Jimbo Fisher knows Dabo Sweeney. He knows Brent Venables, the defensive coach. He knows what Clemson likes to do. And so... Jimbo Fisher isn't intimidated by Clemson because he's beaten them a bunch. And AM, I don't think, is intimidated by Clemson because they almost beat him last year. And so one thing that was interesting from the gambling perspective, in these first couple games, we'll just kind of talk about the big picture. I'm not going to go crazy on the gambling stuff. With these games is the point spreads around 17, 18 points. And it just feels way, way, way too much to me. Now, I know... Everybody loves Trevor Lawrence, right? I love Trevor Lawrence. Wish I could grow out my hair like him, but I can't. That's neither here nor there, but just figured I'd throw it out there. So why I think this is such an interesting matchup is because, and why I think it's going to be close, I think 17-18 is way too much. Isn't Texas A&M's best chance to win this game, to slow things down? to try to run the ball as much as they can, to try to keep Trevor Lawrence off the field, to try to keep that Clemson offense off the field, to try to keep the Clemson fans from getting too involved and engaged in this game? I think it is. And so from my perspective, one, I did from a gambling perspective take the under here because I think it's going to be close and low scoring, but I think Texas A&M's best chance to win this game is to keep it super low scoring. And I would add something else about this game as well, is that... Even if Texas A&M wants to open it up, I don't know that they have the personnel to do it. Kellen Mond is a good quarterback. Kellen Mond has gotten better over the course of his career at Texas A&M. But man, he's got a long way to go. And now you're going to ask him, and I don't believe this is going to happen, but this is the hypothetical for this to be a high-scoring game. You're going to ask Kellen Mond, who's a fine quarterback, he's nothing incredible, you're going to ask him to throw the ball all over the field, You're going to ask him to go crazy and throw the ball 30, 40 times a game to play up tempo, to try to score a bunch of points, to try to go toe-for-toe with Trevor Lawrence? It makes no sense. And so to me, when I look at this game, I think it's super low scoring because, again, the best chance that Texas A&M has to win this game is to keep things close with Clemson to keep Trevor Lawrence off the field, to keep that offense off the field. And I would add this on Clemson too. I think they can be exposed on defense. Listen, I know everyone is in such a rush, and we do this in in all sports. We're always in a rush to, to find the next best thing. 
And this was the big narrative in the office. Oh, Clemson has surpassed Alabama. AT doesn't buy it, man. I don't buy it at all. Listen, they crushed Alabama last year. There's no doubt they were the better team last year. There's no doubt that Trevor Lawrence has a chance to be an elite, 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 elite quarterback, like an all-time quarterback. I think he could go down as one of the best quarterbacks in the history of college football. I know Urban Meyer has said that. And I think he's going to be the number one overall pick when he does declare for the draft two years from now. But this idea that Clemson surpassed Alabama, I don't buy it, and the reason is this. It's that Clemson had a historically great defense last year. I think I've said it on this show. But Clemson had three guys off their defensive line drafted in the first round of the draft. I saw another stat. Six guys off last year's Clemson defense made opening day NFL rosters. So that means that six guys were basically NFL guys playing at the college level last year. Three first rounders. And that doesn't even include guys that were playing last year that didn't declare for the draft and aren't eligible. The point being, I think Clemson had a historically great defense. I do think they can be exposed. I don't think on a different tangent that they have surpassed Alabama as the best program in college football, but I do think Clemson wins this game. I do think A&M is able to keep it close. In terms of my picks, I actually took the under in this game. I got it at 64 and a half, but I do think the play here is uh, the under and I do think that Clemson wins but keeps it close. I have something in the 24 to 14, 27-14 type range. Clemson wins, but the under is the play. A couple more games I want to talk about. And these are games that I did not include in my betting picks. But I'm going to talk about them here because I just think they're interesting. And one thing really quick on betting, and I don't want to turn this into a gambling podcast because it's not what it's about. But one of the things about gambling is sometimes you just have to know when... You just have to know when to just watch a game and enjoy it. Like, like I think that's the number one mistake that people that are new to gambling make is they feel like they have to have action on every game. And it's like if you don't feel strongly about a game, then just don't, don't bet it. Just stay away from it. And I bring that up because the next two games I want to talk about are examples of that. First is Ohio State-Cincinnati. I could see this game going a million different ways. Keep in mind, Ohio State did not look very good after the first quarter in their opener against Florida Atlantic. Scored 28 points in the first quarter. Justin Fields, one of the most incredible quarters of play I've ever seen. Three touchdown passes, one touchdown run in the first quarter. But then from there, believe it or not, they actually got outscored by by FAU. They got outscored... 21 to 18 they win 45 to 21 but they get outscored after the first quarter and so when I look at this game a couple things stand out one is is Ohio State like were they were they just taking their foot off the gas because they didn't want to show anything as the season goes on or were they just taking their foot off the gas because Ryan Day is a little bit more of a softy than than Urban Myers because you know one thing about Urban Meyer there was never, the foot never came off the gas with Urban Meyer, ever. Urban Meyer would flip out if his team got outscored over the final three quarters. And so I wonder, is this a sign of what Texas, or of what, not Texas a not Clemson, what Ohio State is to come to be? Are they going to be a team that just doesn't have that edge in the chip on their shoulder that they did when Urban Meyer was their head coach? I don't know. And that's one of the big reasons why I'm staying away. The other reason I'm staying away, think about it from Cincinnati's perspective. Cincinnati's head coach, Luke Fickle, was actually the head coach at Ohio State for a season and wasn't good enough to keep the job. He was there before Urban Meyer. Remember the year Jim Trestle got fired and Luke Fickle was the interim head coach and then Urban Meyer came in? So you know Luke Fickle's mad about this game. You have to assume his players are mad. You got to assume there's a lot of Ohio kids on that roster that are from Ohio that did not get recruited by Ohio State. You think those guys aren't mad? You think that those guys aren't fired up to play Ohio State? And oh, by the way, Cincinnati's pretty good. Cincinnati won 11 games last year. They dominated UCLA in the opener. And so when I look at this game, I just sit there and say, the smart move from my perspective is just stay away. Just sit on the couch and watch it and flip channels and enjoy it. 
because I could see this game going a million different ways. I could see Ohio State blowing Cincinnati out because they weren't trying to show anything after the first quarter against Florida Atlantic last week. I could see it being a close game because Ohio State doesn't have that chip on their shoulder that they used to under Urban Meyer. I could see it being a close game because Cincinnati has more motivation. Think about it from Cincinnati. Again, from Cincinnati's perspective, this is a rivalry game. From Ohio State's perspective, it means nothing. You lose this game if you're Cincinnati. This is probably the biggest game on Cincinnati's schedule. Now, they'll tell you the other games in the AAC are bigger, Central Florida and Houston and teams like that. But, man, if you're from Ohio, you didn't get recruited by Ohio State. Playing Ohio State is a pretty big deal. And so this is one that I'm going to stay away. I'm not even going to make a prediction. I just find it really, really interesting. Okay, I lied. I will make a small prediction. I think Ohio State wins, but I'm just staying away from betting it because I don't feel good about that line. Speaking of which, how about the other game in that window involving a Big Ten team, which is, of course, Michigan playing Army. You talk about, to me, the ultimate stay away game. This is it, and I'll tell you why. My one rule in life is to never, ever, 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 ever bet against a team that runs the triple option. I'm just telling you, from my perspective, it's miserable. I'm just telling you it's miserable. Because the thing about triple option teams is they can just chew up the clock and just completely suck the life out of a stadium. If you're playing against them, they can suck the life out of your defense. They can, I was going to say, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought there, people. Bear with me. I'm getting old. I'm old and I'm married and I'm boring now. I'm too old to do this stuff. But they can, they, they can go on these crazy long drives. They can also, bang, you have one missed defensive assignment. They can rip off a 70-yard touchdown run like it's nothing. And you got to be disciplined to play against them. I'm not saying Michigan isn't disciplined, but it's just a lot a lot to prepare for the triple option. I mean, keep in mind, last year, Oklahoma, Kyler Murray, Heisman Trophy, best offense in college football. They beat Army 28-21 to in overtime. They scored 21 points in regulation against Army because Army just killed you with the clock and with the possessions. And so Michigan, who I should also mention, did not look very sharp last week as they played the first game with the new offensive coordinator, Josh Gaddis, spread offense. This was the big thing at Michigan was, oh, we're modernizing our offense. We're going to the spread. It takes time to get used to playing the spread offense if you've never played it before. And I just think from Michigan's perspective and from a gambling perspective, just stay away. It's like a 23-point spread. And look, Michigan could get up early and just maul them. Like, it could be 45-3. to I'm not saying it couldn't be. But, on the reverse perspective, Army could go on a couple of those 11-play, 9-minute touchdown drives, and all of a sudden, you got yourself a 17-14 game going into the fourth quarter. So you talk about the ultimate stay away. That is it for me. By the way, I'm looking at the box score from the Army-Oklahoma game last year. Check this out. First of all, Army actually outgained Oklahoma, 379 yards to 355. I wonder if that's Oklahoma's lowest offensive output of the season. I bet it was. How about this for a a stat? Time of possession. Army, 44 minutes and 41 seconds. Oklahoma, 15 minutes and 19 seconds. That's insane. So Army had the ball three times as long as Oklahoma. They barely lost the game. But this is just the ultimate stay away. One last pick, by the way, I'll give you guys. I haven't put anywhere. I'm just going to tell you a little nugget that I heard, and you do with it what you want. I did not make this part of my gambling picks. But my UConn Huskies, yes, they still play football. They're leaving the AAC after this year. Randy Edsel, I don't know what else there is to say. I didn't think they should have rehired him when they did. It was about a budget. They didn't have any money. And this has been a complete dumpster fire. So they played an FCS school, Wagner, last week. They won 24-21. to So they play Illinois this week. Illinois, Lovey Smith actually looked really good in their opener against Akron. 
Illinois, which was probably the second worst team in the Big Ten last year behind Rutgers, they won 42-3. to And the big talk about Illinois this year is they're much improved. They've recruited really well over the last couple of years. Their younger guys are now starting. They're now developed. And this is what I was told. Somebody I trust who knows UConn well said, take Illinois. Now, I personally, I stayed away because... I just said, I don't want to bet against my alma mater, and I don't know that I trust Lovey Smith yet, right? They, 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 you, you don't go from like three to nine to just blowing out everybody, and that's what basically this guy was telling me is going to happen. But he said, somebody who knows the UConn program really well, and I'm not talking about a fan, I'm talking about somebody who knows the inner workings, told me. He said, I've seen this team, this team being UConn. He goes, this game has 45 to three UConn loss written all over it. And he also said, by the way, this is the last time all year you'll be able to get UConn for under 25 points as an underdog. They're about a 20-point dog. He told me, just take Illinois. Just trust me on this. Take Illinois. I have stayed away for that exact reason because I don't trust Lovey Smith. So those are kind of my thoughts on the big games. Really quickly, here are my gambling picks for the week because as I told you, I did really well last week. Want to keep it going. Aaron Torres online. Also, I should mention I do the Periscope every Saturday morning. So if you're sitting around watching College Game Day, find me, Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. I do a Periscope. A lot of you guys really liked it last week. We'll do it again this week. Here are my gambling picks for the week. I already gave you two of them. I got Texas plus five and a half. I think five and a half is way too many points for Texas to be getting, especially at home, especially with Tom Herman um, and his record against the spread. I also told you I like the Texas A&M Clemson under 64 and a half. Look, guys, I know it's not sexy to talk unders. I know we want every game to be 45 to 40, but it's just not going to be. So I take a lot of unders. They usually work out pretty well for me, and this is a game that feels good. Here are the rest of my picks. 12 noon kickoff ESPN2 West Virginia at Missouri. I talked very briefly about Missouri last week. I have Missouri winning and covering as a 14-point favorite. 14 points may seem like a lot for for Missouri after they lost to Wyoming. Here's why I forgive Missouri for what happened. First off, and I know I say first off a lot, but just bear with me. It's a little tick I have. Wyoming is a really tough place to play a college football game. It's really, it's a hard campus to get to. It's at an insane, it's the highest elevation in college football. It's really hard to prepare your body to play there. And also, I don't think Missouri was very motivated to play that game. You know why? Missouri, after the Wyoming game, so starting this week, Missouri has five straight home games. Five straight home games. I've never seen that. I don't think I've ever seen that before in college football. Missouri doesn't go on the road again until October 19th. October 19th. That's a long time from now. From August 31st to October 19th, they don't go on the road. And so when I look at this game, and specifically when I look at last week's game, I just think Missouri was looking at that Wyoming game like, hey, let's just get through this game, and we got a five-game home streak, and we can really do something special this year. And instead, they overlooked Wyoming. Wyoming had one good quarter where they had two touchdowns of 60 yards or more on offense, and they got a defensive touchdown, and they ended up winning the game. And Wyoming still almost came back and won the game. They lost 37-31. So I think Missouri gets refocused. I think they win. I like Missouri covering the 14 points. Second game, 330 window. I already gave you Texas A&M the under. How about Nebraska-Colorado? Same number, under 64 and a half. Last week, I watched a lot of that Nebraska game because there really wasn't much on in that noon Eastern time window. And what I saw from Nebraska was two things. A team with a really good defense and a really bad offense. Nebraska, if you don't know this, scored 35 points against South Alabama last week. 21 of those points were non-offensive touchdowns. Two defensive touchdowns and a special teams touchdown. And so I don't buy that Nebraska is going to go on the road and move the ball up and down the field against Colorado. Nebraska's defense is pretty good. I think they can hold Colorado in check. I don't think, however, that they can hold... I don't think that they can score enough. 
So again, the, the play here is the under 64 and a half. I wanted to take Colorado straight up. Colorado is actually a four, four and a half point favorite. It's down to three and a half, which means that most of the betters are siding with Colorado. I stayed away from the total, I stayed away from the win-loss perspective, and I took the under there. Those are three of my picks, four technically. After that, really quick one, Colorado State, Western Illinois. So Western Illinois is an FBS team. Somehow this line was nine points when I saw it. I believe it's up to nine and a half now. Colorado State almost beat Colorado last week. Colorado State had four turnovers. And if they basically just hadn't turned the ball over, they would have won that game. And so now they're, they're only a nine-point favorite at home against an FCS team. I, this line makes no sense to me. I took Colorado State minus nine against Western Illinois. Another one, San Diego State UCLA. I'll tell you this, I haven't turned on Chip Kelly, and one of the things, and I wrote about this in the, uh, in the, the, the picks this week, it's really interesting to me how I can watch a game, how we can all, it's not just me, how you can watch a game, how you and your dad will watch a game, you and your brother, and you'll, see, you'll watch a game and you'll, you'll see things from a completely different perspective. Because a lot of people watch that Cincinnati-UCLA game, and all I read was, oh, UCLA's terrible, Chip Kelly's overrated. Like, Pat Forty wrote this article, like, Chip Kelly's stealing money. And I'm like, I, I get it. We all thought he'd be better. He was incredible at Oregon. But this is what I would say about Chip Kelly. I watched that UCLA game, and I saw a UCLA team that's vastly improved on defense. Keep in mind, this was one of the worst defenses in college football before Chip Kelly took over, gave up 24 points last week. And they fumbled twice in the red zone. First drive of the game, they're driving the length of the field, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, their, running, their, their quarterback, fumbles the ball in the red zone. Second to last drive of the game. They're driving to try to keep the game close, to try to stay in the game. Fumbles again. You take out that two, those two fumbles, they might win the game. And so UCLA is a seven-point favorite at home. I think they return home. I think they look good. I think they win convincingly. I got UCLA minus seven. To wrap up, Arkansas and Ole Miss. I have Ole Miss minus seven. And I also have the under of 55. Let me explain why. Ole Miss, we all saw that loss to Memphis. Wasn't pretty. I'll be the first to admit it. I might be the only person that's not an Arkansas fan that actually watched the Arkansas-Portland State game, though. And I'm telling you this right now. Arkansas is terrible. And it pains me. We all know I'm a hog. We all know I'm a hog at heart. Big, big, big hog. Eric Musselman, that's my guy. I love the hogs. But... They're really bad. And Chad Morris, who's this offensive guru, he can't find a quarterback. And they almost lost to Portland State. Now, they ran the ball well, but you're not going to run the ball that well against Ole Miss. And I think that Ole Miss team, that, that team that Ole Miss lost to Memphis is better than people realize. And Ole Miss kept things close. So I think Ole Miss is going to shut down Arkansas. I think they're going to cover the seven points. And then I think on top of that, what you're going to look at is a situation where Arkansas struggles to move the ball at all. I like Ole Miss minus seven in the under. So really quick again for my picks. I have West Virginia minus 14. I have Nebraska, Colorado under 64 and a half. I have Texas A&M, Clemson under 64 and a half. I have Colorado State minus nine against Western Illinois. I have UCLA minus seven against San Diego State. I have Arkansas minus seven, or oh, excuse me, Ole Miss minus seven against Arkansas and the under of 55. And I have Texas plus five and a half against LSU. All right. So I wasn't planning on doing 37 minutes solo, but sometimes when you're hot, you're hot. And I was hot right there. I was feeling good. I was in the groove. So I did 37 minutes. So that's all for this portion of today's show. As I said, SiriusXM, Jacob Hester, former LSU Tiger, he's here to talk about his career, his time playing for Nick Saban, playing for Les Miles, and talks a little bit more about the Texas LSU game. That is all for my segment. But I will be back on Sunday night into Monday with your regularly scheduled Air Tour Sports Podcast. We are officially back to twice a week, every week from now until the end of time, certainly at least till the end of basketball season in April. So make sure you're subscribed. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen. Also, rate and review the show. So many of you guys have done that. Thank you to all of you who have. Five stars are encouraged. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. 
finally, you have any questions, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for my portion of today's show. Shout out to my guy, Torrent Craig. He is an Australian legend. And now it's time for my main man, Jacob Hester. As I said, I hope the audio is fixed. If it's not, I apologize. Please try to stick through the first question or two as it gets better, but hopefully it's perfect and there's no issues. Thanks, guys. Talk to you later this week. And make sure you're following me on Twitter, by the way, Aaron underscore Torres. I'm tweeting up a storm before I do my radio show Saturday night. That is all. Have a good night. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Here is Jacob Hester. All right, and joining me on the phone now, good friend of mine, LSU legend, here to talk about LSU, uh, all sorts of stuff going into this weekend, Texas, et cetera. Uh, he is the host of Hanging with Hester in Baton Rouge as well as on Sirius XM SEC Network. Jacob Hester, my man, what's going on? I'm doing good, man. Aaron, it's always a pleasure. You know that football season, basketball season, it doesn't matter. As long as we're talking, it's a good day. Well, first of all, I don't think we'll have time today, but LSU is now officially a basketball school. I mean, I don't know if you heard the news or not, but this thing happened overnight defending SEC champs, man. You get you get a little bas- – I know we got a big game this weekend, but you feeling a little basketball fever uh, going into October and November? Oh, absolutely. I've already been wearing my old-school Dunking Tiger logo shirt around town. People start to comment on it. They're excited about basketball season, even during football season. As you know, that's not typically something that happens here in Baton Rouge. Not at all. All right, so I want to talk about a few different things. You're actually prepping for your show right now, so we won't take up too much of your time. Uh, I do want to start kind of with your career, and it's stuff that I've kind of talked to you about off air, and it's, it's stuff I'm sure that, frankly, that you've talked about a million times. So I apologize if it's questions you've answered a lot, but uh, for people who aren't familiar with you, I think you have kind of a fascinating background. You were recruited and played for Nick Saban during his run at LSU. You then played for Les Miles right up until that championship season in 2008. First of all, I, I don't even know where to start with the Saban stuff, but what I, I mean, did, did you I, – I don't even know where to start. I mean, he was obviously – he's not the Nick Saban that we know now, but what was it like as a high school kid having that kid having that guy walk into your high school, into your, into your living room? Uh, because I imagine even back then it was kind of a big deal. So, yeah, I mean, obviously Nick's evolved and he's grown as a coach. And uh, even at LSU, though, he still had – that Nick Saban quality that when he walked into a room, everybody kind of sat up in their seat and they were paying attention to what Nick was saying, what Nick was doing. And for me, when he walked in my living room, the thing he was able to flash was a national championship ring that they just won the year before at LSU. And look, we had only won one at LSU in the late fifties before that. So that was special. That meant something. And I think people realized what Nick was building at LSU going to a sugar bowl and beating an Illinois team in his second year and then in the third year you know they they fell a little bit go to a cotton bowl but he started to get his guys his recruits and then in his fourth season they win that bcs national championship and he really look he set up the future with really good recruiting classes and so although it was early in his career i mean nick he still has it to this day when he walks into a room and you absolutely know that nick saban has walked into the room he's a guy that works his butt off expects a lot demands a lot because he puts in a lot I would ask you, I mean, obviously, look, it's easy for us to say this in hindsight, that he is this, uh, you know, all-time legend. I know you were only 18 years old at the time. Could you even sense then that something was different about this guy? And I do understand, again, he was coming off a national championship. Uh, that makes anybody sit up kind of at the edge of their seat. But uh, was there any sign, I'm sure you were recruited by all the big schools and, and by a lot of programs with really high-caliber coaches. Was there anything, like, different about him that – uh, stood out to you or he just felt different besides the fact of his kind of just overall presence? Well, I think with Nick, it's all about the process and you hear about the process, but that's who he is and that's how he coaches. And even then, even early in his career, all the way back, you know, I mean, you can go to Michigan State, you can go to his time in the NFL. When you talk to former players, he has that process. He has things the way he wants to have them done. And for me, he laid out a plan of how my career was going to go, and I think he kind of did that for a lot of people because he wants to have every single detail you know, kind of in tow. He wants to have it right there with him. He doesn't want it to get too far from him. And it's funny, I only played a year for Nick, but my entire career kind of played out the way he said. He's like, hey, you'll play fullback the first two years. I think you'll be the starting tailback your junior and senior seasons at LSU, and that's the way it played out. And 
you could already sense, even at that time, even though he only had the one national title, that this guy's a little bit different. And obviously, you know, being a guy who coached with Bill Belichick for a long time, uh, he learned from the best, and he's taken what he learned and even taken it to a different level on the college level where Belichick's done it at the pro level. It's really impressive that he continues year in and year out to re- really reinvent himself. I mean, for a long time, you know, everybody was saying, is Nick going to run the spread? Are they going to do these different things? Well, he continues to update with college football, and that's one of the reasons why he's the best to do it. What about Les Miles? I mean, you go come off that super serious, the process – Every day is about being at your best, and I don't want to say that Les Miles, that, that isn't who he is, but he's got a little bit of a different personality. You know, I mean, what was it like? Do you remember the first meeting you guys had with him or anything like that? Oh, yeah, look, I, absolutely. I mean, Les was a guy that came in from Oklahoma State. He had success there, did really well, actually, against Oklahoma at his time at OK State, and totally different than Nick. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Nobody's ever going to be in a room with both of those guys and confuse them for the other. But, I mean, I think Les kind of gets lost in because he does have a big personality. He does like to have fun at his press conferences. What gets lost is he's a hell of a football coach. And I realize that people talk about the offense and then the offense is stuck in the past and he plays in a phone booth. But X's and O's wise, I mean, he can drop a running play as good as anybody and he was a great head coach, and it was completely different, like I mentioned, than Saban. But I think Les doesn't get the credit for the football knowledge that he has. I think he is a guy that's a grinder as well. Does he like to have fun? Absolutely. But if you didn't do things the right way, he wasn't going to wait on you. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, he dismissed Ryan Perilou from the team uh, when we were coming off a championship season. And Ryan Perilou was uber talented, but, you know, he didn't do things the right way off the field at the time. And, he moved on from him, and look, Tyron Matthew talks about Les Miles, and when he dismissed him from the team, that was a changing point in his life and uh, the way that Coach Miles handled it, and he still follows up to this day with Tyron, and that relationship's outstanding, and Les is a guy that, look, you got to do things the right way or you won't be here. He's not a guy that's going to sacrifice his integrity to win football games. I was going to say, you kind of mentioned it, but do you think because the narrative for so long, and I don't know if it was a narrative then as much as it, as it was in hindsight, but uh, that he quote-unquote won with Nick Saban's players, you, you obviously being one of them, uh, does that irk you? Does that bother you? Because I do remember that being kind of a huge narrative, and it sounds like you know you kind of just said it, like the dude doesn't really get the credit he deserves for everything that he accomplished at the school. Oh, it absolutely bothered me. Uh, when it was happening in 2007, and that's not even a slight at Nick. I mean, obviously, a lot of us were recruited, played for Nick. That's great. But we didn't see Nick for two years leading into that season. He was somewhere else. He was with the Dolphins. And so Coach Miles was there day in and day out. And as you know, in any sport, things change on a weekly basis, much less when you're talking two years. And so, look, I was not even playing the same position. I mean, Matt Flam was a new starting quarterback the year we won a championship. I mean, there wasn't many players that even played in 2004. I mean, Maybe me, early Doucette, Glenn Dorsey, a couple of us saw some action in 04, but by the time we got to 2007, I mean, there was nothing left of, of, of what Nick left over. And so you've got to give credit to the coaching staff that was there. And Gary Croton's a guy that came in as the offense coordinator after Jimbo Fisher went to Florida State. I don't think Gary Croton doesn't get the credit he deserves for kind of changing the offense and one having uh, one of the biggest scoring offenses in LSU history. Dude, I am reliving some LSU glory days. A lot of names I haven't thought about in a while. Early Doucette, Ryan Paraloo. These are names. These are some uh, big blasts from the past. Real quick, uh, and I want to get to this week's game. What do you think of Les at Kansas? I mean, obviously, look, he was out of football for a while. Uh, and Kansas, like, obviously, it goes without saying, is maybe one of the two or three hardest jobs at the Power 5 level. Have you had a chance to talk to him or at the very least observe kind of what he's doing? I mean, what do you kind of make of him at, at Kansas? Yeah, I've had a chance to catch up with Les a ton uh, since he's been at Kansas, and we stay in contact. As you know, Aaron, I mean, I've named my fourth son Memphis Miles Hester after Coach Miles and, and think the world of him. It's an uphill battle. There's no doubt about it at Kansas. You mentioned it's one of the hardest Power 5 programs, maybe the hardest to win at. But, look, they got a jolt of life when Les was hired at that program. When he took over, they were behind Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Hampton in recruiting. And then he takes over, and they were like in 160 range. He takes over. They finish a little bit better last year. They're in the 30s this year. And so it's something completely different than it was before. 
And look, I hope the best for him. It's going to be a fight. It's going to be a challenge. There's no question about that. But look, when's the last time we've talked this much about Kansas football? Probably probably never. But if you had to say a year, 08 when they made the Orange Bowl and that one year they had a run. And so they're getting what they put in. They wanted some attention to their program. Attention brings recruits. Less brings recruits. I hope nothing but success for Kansas. I will root for them every single time they play unless they're playing a team that has LSU on their chest, I'll be a Jayhawk fan. I, I know I asked you this during the season. Did you see the Les Miles – or I asked you during the offseason. Did you see the Les Miles uh, social media onslaught coming? I mean, this guy – I know the season's kind of started, so he's a little bit less. But, I mean, eh, this guy was playing beer pong in the student union, and he was he's on Twitter, and I forget he did something with Bill Self where they're stepbrothers. I mean, this guy is – you know, I think he's out there living his best life out there in Lawrence. <laughs> so that's some of the less that we actually probably got to see more at LSU behind closed doors. Uh, but I think, look, I think at Kansas, you have to do those type of things. I really do. I think you've got to be out front of the student body. You have to bring attention to your program that's outside of the playing field because it is such a struggle. It's a basketball school. And if you want to bring attention to the football program, you've got to team up with the basketball head coach and you've got to go to the student union and make sure people know, oh, yeah, they do play football here in Lawrence. And so Les is the perfect candidate for a job like that. Again, I know I know the challenge that he has in front of him. But, look, they're a team that's went 4-71 and in their last 75 Big 12 games. And so it can only go up, and I think Les will take it to a level that's above where they were. Now, I don't know what level that can be, but it's going to be better than when he found it. What do you make? Let's talk about this weekend. LSU Texas is obviously the marquee game, um, and I think there's some real, real buzz around LSU this year. And I think in years past, and look, it was kind of towards the end of the Miles era, the beginning of the Coach Orgeron era. Nobody kind of really knew what to expect. Um, is Coach O the old Miss Coach O? Is he the interim LSU Coach O? And like, I think first of all that he's done a phenomenal job. I actually don't think he gets the credit for what he's done. LSU's first 10-win season last year since 2013. What do you make of kind of the state of the program? Because uh, with all due respect to Coach Miles, who obviously, as you just referenced, you're really close with, there had been a dip towards the end. And, like, I know it's early, and I know this. there's a big game this weekend that's going to determine a lot. I've been actually, like, really genuinely impressed with Coach O since he's gotten there. Yeah, and I, th- I think everyone should be. What he did – Look, when he had the interim tag, to be able to be as competitive as LSU was, I mean, they were in every game they played. The only losses they had were tough losses to Alabama, Florida, and then they went and won a bowl game, and that's huge. And then he gets a full-time job, and you could start to see him, you know, change the roster, the coaching staff to fit what he wanted. And it took a little time, as any new coach is going to do. But they still, you know, won football games. They won nine football games. And then yet uh, last year, it looked like they were more comfortable, and they win that 10th game. They win a Fiesta Bowl. They get back to that big-time bowl game that they hadn't been in in a long time. And now, even more this year, he's got his full coaching staff exactly where he wants it. You're starting to see his recruits be the guys who shine on this football team, and they've had a top recruiting class last year. They've got another one here in 2020, and the program is starting to take shape in Coach O's mold. And I think LSU fans – are feeling that. I think they're seeing that. And last year there was a narrative that he was on the hot seat, which I thought was baloney the whole time. But you don't hear that anymore because fans realize the work that he's putting in, the job that he's doing. And, look, if they continue, they're going to be right back where LSU fans want them to be, and that's in the Final Four situation. I know it's it's tough to say without knowing the result of this Texas game, but with Texas, um, you know, obviously like the narrative is kind of like what you said is they get through this Texas game, the road is in front of them. It's always a tough schedule, but there's a lot of, you know, big, a lot of the big games are at home. How much do, do does the average LSU fan, and maybe this is a dumb question and maybe it's even an insulting question. So I apologize if it is, but how much does the LSU fan kind of let themselves dream? Because obviously like last year, they weren't that far off. Obviously, they won 10. They would have won 11 if it weren't for that A&M game. But there is obviously still that, whatever you want to call it, 10,000-pound gorilla or whatever the term is, you know, with Alabama. Are, are LSU fans – like, like what, what is the perception of Alabama right now? Because you have all this excitement, but obviously one of your biggest rivals is, of course, the premier program in college football right now. 
Look, Alabama is the giant in college football, even with the loss to Clemson last year, because Alabama is always going to be in the hunt as long as Nick Saban's a head coach. LSU fans realize that, but LSU fans have high expectations. They have expectations to be in the championship talk every single year, and they should. With everything they've got in the facilities, the way they recruit, the coaching staff they have, the players they have, they should have those high expectations. And look, you've got to get over that hump. You've got to get over the Alabama hump because, look, you've gone on the road in the swamp and beaten Florida. You've gone on the road at Jordan-Hare and beaten Auburn. You've done all these things. You haven't beaten Alabama since 2011. Everyone knows that you've got to go into that game home or away, and you've got to win one. This team is set up to beat anybody in the country, but as we all know, that's a game that's circled because if LSU wants to get to Atlanta to the SEC championship, they've got to beat Alabama. And so you can't look ahead because obviously you've got games with Florida and Auburn before you get to Alabama, but it's a game that LSU fans feel like they have a chance every single year because they should, because the expectation level, but they also know that they've got to get over that hump if they want to be where they want to be, which is, again, a championship squad. Very good. A lot of buzz going into this weekend. I mean, I know you're spending literally two hours a day every day talking about it this week. I mean, what are your kind of just general thoughts going in? We're we're recording here on Wednesday. People listen to this on Thursday, but we're getting close, man. And like I said, there's a lot of excitement, especially the way LSU look this weekend. Yeah, look, there should be a lot of buzz around this game. Texas is a top 10 program, just like LSU. It's a road game for LSU. It's SEC versus Big 12. It's two tough, tough quarterbacks and Ellinger and Joe Burrow going against each other. And it's everything you want in a college football matchup. It's on campus. It's not at a neutral site. Uh, Texas is trying to get back to the promised land, get back to championships. LSU's trying to build on what they did a year ago, just like Texas, which is win a big-time New Year's Six bowl game at the end of the year. And so everything you want in this matchup is there. Both schools uh, claim to be DBU, so there's going to be that intrigue in this game. And so, look, this is a game that when it was scheduled a couple years ago, your biggest hope was, I hope this is a big-time matchup. I hope this is a top 10, both teams rank kind of matchup. And I think even, even those expectations have been exceeded because we didn't think it would be this big. I mean, this is a game that can springboard either team, Texas or LSU, if they win it. it look, if you lose this game, obviously your season's not done, but it does so much for the percep- uh, perception of your team if you win it. Is there any extra oomph to this with the Tom Herman aspect? I mean, for people who don't know, uh, the way that I kind of perceive it is that Tom Herman basically used LSU to leverage Texas into basically firing Charlie Strong to hire him. Uh, I'm guessing LSU fans probably have not forgotten about that. And so that's that's kind of been a narrative locally. You know, the Tom Herman issue, uh, as far as we all know what happened, and Joe Oliva, this, that, and the other, the agent. I, I can tell you, I know Coach O doesn't care about it. He just doesn't. It's not something that – He got the job. He got the job he wanted. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, he's at the place that he wanted to be. He doesn't really care how it happened. <clears throat> and look, all the coaches involved, Jimbo Fisher, Tom Herman, Ed Ogeron, all three of them are having successful runs where they're at. I mean, Jimbo's – the 11th team in the country, about to go face the number one team in the country. Herman and Ogeron facing off in a 9-6 matchup. Every school is thriving. Every school is growing with who their head coach is. And so for that, it's a non-story to me. Now, you might write blogs about it. You might see it on Twitter as a story. At the end of the day, who cares? Because all three programs, in my opinion, are in better standing than when their previous coach was there. And it's a really, really intriguing matchup because it's two good football teams and not the fact that Tom Herman could have been the LSU head coach. All right, Jacob Hester, again, you can hear him uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, I think everybody in Baton Rouge already listens to him, but one to three on ESPN Radio in Baton Rouge, Sirius XM, SEC Network. Anything else on this game, Jake, that we haven't hit on? Anything else that you want to talk about? Anything you want to talk basketball? We can talk basketball too if you want, but anything else we missed? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, we definitely, you know, we'll catch up with basketball soon, but just kind of a final capper on this game, something to watch out for. Texas is down to one scholarship running back. Ingram is literally the, the only scholarship running back healthy right now for the Longhorns. They've had a rash of injuries in the backfield. They've moved a quarterback to running back. They've moved a linebacker to running back here in the last couple of weeks. So when you only got one guy, it's supposed to be hotter than hot in Austin, Texas on that turf. Watch out for that because to me, Ellinger either picks up more carries or they throw the football more. That's something to pay attention to in this game on Saturday. All right, that's really good. I actually even hadn't even heard that. Jacob Hester, uh, by the way, follow Jacob on Twitter at Jacob Hester 18. 
dude, I appreciate this. I love talking to you. You got to do your show now. I genuinely appreciate you making a few minutes to chat, my man. Oh, man, anytime. You know you're my guy, Aaron. Anytime you need me, let me know. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.